You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. Okay. Game time? Sure. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Behind the Message with Jason. And Chris. And Jason. Oops, Jason, you were a little hot there, Chris. Why, thank you. Well, I mean, <laughs> got jokes already. <laughs> Just started the bad jokes. Alright, we're good. I think we're good. Um, oh yeah, you weren't with us last week. I was not. Alright, but you're here. We got the whole crew. We have... Uh, new t-shirts that Jason Baker made us, <laughs> and I'll put that in the podcast thumbnail if you're that curious, because I'm sure no one is, but <laughs> you can see the picture of it um, as you as you listen to this. Boom. I mean, pretty wonderful. You get to see us and hear us now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm sorry. This, the next step <laughs> is is a live video. <laughs> a video podcast. It started, didn't it? Yeah, because uh, we, at the time we were doing like Adult Wednesday church, I don't know what we were doing back then, Um, and then when COVID hit and everyone's like, no one can do church anymore, um, Derek and I did this, we recorded this. I don't think it was live though, we just did a video, but it took way more time because, yeah, you have to edit that and... We had the slow computer back then, so you had to... I mean, it took hours to do this mm-hmm. thing every week. Um, but, you know, what else were we going to do? Everything was shut down, so... True. Um, all right. Uh, question one. I know you all have not had enough time to talk about Taylor Swift, the Super Bowl. So, what did you do for the Super Bowl? Chris, I kind of know what you did. You know what you, I did. Go ahead. What did you do? Uh, our small group had to get together, and yep. I ate too much food and hung out with our small group and, in, and just enjoyed watching the game. That's true. Did you um, did you have some carbs on Sunday night? Oh, yeah. I definitely was not Those. following any kind okay. of dietary rules on, <laughs> <laughs> on Sunday. <laughs> what was your favorite food item at small group Super Bowl? Oh, man. Um... Those little, I don't know, what, whatever, I think Jesse made them. They were wrapped in bacon, like little... Little sausage wiener yeah. things of bacon. And they had, I didn't think he made them, did he? Uh, didn't he? I don't know. Whoever I mean, made them, they were good. Well, I, I guess I thought he made them because when I went to get food, he said, don't eat these. So I thought he meant like, hey, I made these, I like these, so don't. He's uh, like, they're not, you know, he was kind of... So like, now when we're looking back on it, he probably meant, I want to eat them. Yeah. Don't eat them. Yeah. I don't know if they were wrapped with like a sweeter bacon maple, but there was some sweet. That's it. it was really good. Yeah, all the like all the desserts were good. Yeah, all the everything was good. I Since we were at the same it. small group Super Bowl, I did this. We had we were over at the Perry's house, mm-hmm. and you know the group hardly ever responds when I text them. Um, and they said we said we were going to bring appetizers. So even Sunday, I was like, I bet we're going to have like four things of appetizers we didn't really talk we didn't really plan out too well i mean I've, i guess at that point some definitely people were texting kind of what they were going to bring 
and it was so much food. Mm. <laughs> it was good. Yeah, and Jenny made her famous guacamole, which I think I've told her a lot. But I told her Sunday night, and like she's that's the best. It, it's the best guacamole I've had. Maybe I'm just a little biased, but that's it's got gar. Good. It's got a good amount of garlic in it, and almost I don't know if she puts onions in it or not, but it, it's just. I was dipping everything. I think I dipped one of those bacon sausage wiener <laughs> things in it. <laughs> I was like, this has got to be good. And then, oh, Katie made like miniature Pop-Tart things, like homemade little Pop-Tarts. She had cinnamon ones, yeah, and then she had one. Nutella. And then I think Mary, <laughs> I could get it wrong who brought it, but someone made like, like chocolate chip s'more cookies. It was ridiculous. I was so sick. I told you I I went home, I ate ate some tums and then took another Prilosec and I was like, mm-hmm. and I survived. I did not so, sleep well that night. Oh, I didn't sleep really well, well, but it was like, it was, it, it was, was either like it. not sleeping super well or burping up vomit <laughs> in the middle of the night. So, yeah, the Prilosec and the tums got me through the night but it wasn't a you know it wasn't a blissful oh i would too golly (laughs) i mean yeah it was good all right baby uh stayed home with karina and her dog worked on an assignment and then went to bed yeah i never even turned the tv on on. you didn't even turn it on (laughs) no we never turned the tv on you missed usher miss alicia keys not hitting that note um (laughs) They don't miss that. Yeah, she started off. Well, she started off singing, and the, her first note was off. Off, and she tried to find it, and then apparently I saw online like when they um, posted the actual video or whatever, they fixed it. Oh, really? So, yeah, she doesn't do it. Uh, mm. But in real time, you can hear it. Um, Technology. Wow. He didn't even watch the game. Nope. You know who won? Uh, the next morning, I like Googled and found out that Kansas City won. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, you you follow Taylor Swift on Instagram and Twitter, and it's probably how you really found out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, he played for the Chiefs, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see all that where he was yelling at Andy Reid? Yeah. I watched, um, actually it was this afternoon, so Travis and Jason Kelsey have a podcast that they do together, um, and it's certainly not a Christian podcast, so I don't (laughs) recommend it, but um, uh, he brought, they brought it up, and uh, Jason Kelsey was immediately like, you were wrong, like, you you were out of control, you shouldn't have yelled at him, and he, but he, obviously, he didn't make it bigger than what it was, but they weren't making excuses for it so Hmm. at least that was good all right well let's go after more important things than the super bowl word first john one five two through two two and the question is how can i be an honest christian was the question we looked at on sunday um this, by the way, I I did not expect this message to resonate as much as I. It was it was a this was a Friday. No, I told you I I could not write this Thursday for whatever reason, and I woke up at like 
at least three in the morning Friday and could not sleep. And I was like, well, at some point you just got to get up. So I got up around three and just sat out in the recliner and I was like, let me write this message at this point. So Hmm. that's what happened. So I was a little delirious when I wrote it. So maybe I should try that again this week. (laughs) (laughs) Sleep deprivation. Yeah, sleep deprivation. Like, yeah, the Holy Spirit better write this because I am not awake. (laughs) Not awake. Um, All right, so the question was, how can I be an honest Christian? Point one, don't walk in darkness while telling everyone you have fellowship with God. Um, And before we go through some of those questions, we're trying to break that down to, well, what does the passage say about God um, in light of that? No pun intended, but letter A was God is light. So, Baker, how does the word and the light go together? Well, I'm trying to answer this without crossing over your all's questions, too. Um, <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'm stepping on everyone's <laughs> questions. Just heads up. Uh, John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the light was the light. the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, so the word is Jesus Christ. Um, and then John eight, 12. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus is not only the word, he is also the light. So both are manifested in one person. That was a very good answer without... Okay. Given all of Chris's answers. So, Chris, how do we see God as light in Genesis 1? Let's read it. All right. All right. Genesis 1, 3 through 5 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. I also have First um, John uh, 1, 5. Uh, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then Revelation 22, 5 says, And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So uh, God does not need the sun, moon, and stars to provide light. God is God is light. Yeah. You ever, have you ever read The Magician's Nephew? Oh, it was a long time ago, yeah. yeah. It was part of the Narnia series. A long time ago. Yeah, and Aslan is like singing the creation into existence. It's cool. It's a good book. Yeah. All right. That's all I have to say about that. So, read it. Uh, Jason Payne, what does it mean that God is light? I, I'd say uh, I'm certainly oversimplifying... Uh, things here, but it's first describing his nature, like he's he's good. There is no good in this world without the light of God shining. Um, but also, God is light means that Christ Jesus is God. Um, that that very every essence of what we know as true and good and righteous comes from God. So John one nine, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
So Christ is the true light, which is why John calls him in First uh, John two one, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Uh, they go that light and righteousness uh, go together. Um, so that's God is light. Let's go through. God has no darkness. This is where things get complicated. Baker, the hardest question that has ever existed in Christianity <laughs> that, has ever, that. that has ever been asked on this podcast, what is the origin of evil? And 30 seconds or less, go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start with John 3, 19. Uh, it says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And I'm going to... Tie that into Genesis 3, 4 through 6. Um, this is Satan talking to Eve. It says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of, of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So I'm going to go with this um, from John 3, 19. Um, it's a rejection of the true light of God and embracing the darkness. They did. They were trying to be their own light. Yeah. They were rejecting the true light. But also we see from Genesis 3, 4 through 6, as I just said, it's a desire to become our own light. So basically... Evil begins when we desire to take God's place in our lives. I'll just put that. Yeah. I mean, that's what happened with Satan. He desired yeah. God's place, God's rule and authority. And so, I mean, it, it, the origin is all of evil is always within our own hearts. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's one of those. It's a good baseline. Yeah. Yeah. And but the, can, yeah. You can spend... <laughs> I mean, we can do a whole behind-the-message series on the origin of evil, but, yeah, no, that was good. Uh, Jason, why is it important to know that God has no darkness? So let me take what you said just a little step further, explain it. Well, I don't know I'm going to explain it any more than you did, but um, I don't think it's a secret uh, that I lean and more of like the reformed circles, whatever reformed means these days. Um, but I've also tried to challenge myself uh, in that area recently. So I've, I, I've told you guys, like I've been reading a book called Against Calvinism. Um, and so far it's been, it's actually been really encouraging. Uh, it's well-written. Michael Horton, um, who forwarded that book, uh, also wrote his own called for Calvinism. So obviously Michael Horton's a Calvinist, the other guy's not. Uh, so two books that I, I do think are worth checking out um, if you want to do a, a deep dive in that area. I, I will preface that to say it is, I've not read For Calvinism, but Against Calvinism is, is pretty deep and there's a lot of history involved in it. So it's not like light reading, just fair warning. But it's not a light topic either. So regardless, um, as I've been reading that, it's reminded me that at the very least, like where am I at in all this? At the very least, I cannot believe in any sort of idea 
that God is the author of evil. Um, he did not create evil. He does not force people to choose evil. Um, so wherever I'm at in that theological journey, I can say that God does, is not the author of evil. So to the question, we need to know that God does um, that God does have is light, but He does not have darkness in Him, and He chooses uh, to hand those realities out um, and, until He decides uh, that light wins. Um, oh, let me rephrase that because that was really confusing. We need to know that God does not have light and darkness in him. There we go. That makes more sense. Um, and then he chooses to hand out light and dark until he decides when light wins. That's the way I wanted to say that. Um, likewise, darkness is not some exterior cosmic evil that's on some sort of equal playing field as God. Uh, that's part of a heresy called dualism. This idea that God and Satan, evil, are, are equals and they're battling it out until the end. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a battle in Revelation, but it's a battle that's already won and a battle that will be completed in the age to come. So I mentioned these things on Sunday, but not um, in too much depth, but I, I certainly don't want to hint at, nor do I believe, that God is the author of evil. And I guess also gently say that um, there's a lot of those within the Calvinist circle that would say that he is. They would never say it that clearly, <laughs> but um, I mean, I guess some of them have said it that clearly, but I just, wherever I'm at, I, God is not the author of evil. And I think it's clear. I mean, in First John, um, why he wrote that, there's just no darkness in him as if it was a thing that he possessed. Um, so, all right. How does this understanding of God encourage us to walk in the light? Let's climb out of the weeds. First uh, John chapter one verse seven says, "But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin." Psalm one nineteen one o five, "Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path." Uh, John eight twelve says, "Again Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." And finally, Ephesians 5.8 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So walking in light means that we consider Jesus as the light in this world, and we walk in the light by following his precepts, uh, living in his power, and growing in his grace. That's good. That's a good answer. It's better than my last answer. <laughs> So, all right. So, point two, how can we be an honest Christian? Um, well, don't act like you're sinless while refusing to confess your sin. Uh, Baker, how do we know? This is a really important question that I didn't go over Sunday. How do we even know what is a sin? Uh, James 4 17. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Um, 
How do we know what the right thing is to do? We have God's word. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us that is going to let us know when we have sinned. Um, but knowing and adhering to God's word, taking it to heart, that's how we're going to know what a sin is. First uh, John 3, 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Um, and James 1, 14 through 15, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So there's, we may be tempted, but it's when we give in to that is when we have sinned. That's good. And you're like the king of cross-references. <laughs> you know, I should like just quickly type out a draft of the sermon and email it to you and then be like, email this back to me with all the cross-references that I should read on Sunday. That would save me a ton of time. I'm sure you or chat GPT could get that done for me. <laughs> but, yeah, no, those were really good. That was a good answer. Um all right, then who should we confess our sin to? I told uh, a couple on Sunday that I had thought about building like a confessional booth no. in the church. I was going to start selling indulgences. We were going to we were going to get rid of that red carpet one way or another. So, no. Go ahead. Sorry. Real a real answer. Real answer, um, God first and foremost. We confess our sins to God. First uh, John 1 John 1:9 says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, as you mentioned during the sermon, uh, the person or persons that were hurt by your sin, if, if applicable, um, trusted friends or family members that are uh, brothers and sisters in Christ that you, that you trust. Uh, James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then uh, Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Yeah. Let me um, piggyback off that because this has come up so many times in ministry where people confess their sin to the Lord and they're like, all right, I'm done. And it stays a secret to everyone else and even who it directly impacts. And I would say that's not real repentance. That's not real confession. Um, that doesn't mean every little thing you gotta go tell someone because obviously our sin impacts those we love and so many other people in a thousand different ways we never realized. So I'm not saying every little thing you gotta go confess to the Lord and then call up people, text people. But it, it's just come up enough times that that has to be clear. Um, you don't get to confess your sin to the Lord and then keep it in secret till you're gra to the grave and think, well, I'm good. No one else knows, so I'm good. Um, that's just a coward's way out of... of um, forgiveness and I would say you, there's no real forgiveness in that there's just not so it's going to catch up to you one way or another but alright well, 
with that encouraging news. Uh, letter <laughs> A, God is faithful and just. So again, we're, we're moving away from self, focus on God. God is faithful and just. Uh, so why must God punish sin? It's not a long answer, but it, it's helpful. Um, I'd say because of his nature. He's not only a judge, um, but a just judge. As John 7.24 says, he's a righteous judge. The logic to me is simple. We would not call a judge righteous if he allows someone that is guilty to get away unpunished. We would all say, I mean, you don't even have to be a believer to agree with this. We would all say that the judge is condoning evil and not doing their job. They're not a good judge. So the same with the Lord. He must punish sin or he's not a good, righteous, just judge. So here, the reality is like, I don't think we have a problem with this idea or the, tr- the truth that, that God is a just judge. We don't have a problem with the righteous judge part. I think we have a problem with believing that we're actually guilty. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. All right, let her be. Uh, God will, or God is faithful and just, and God will forgive. Baker, how does God, or does God forget our sins? Uh, Isaiah yes. forty three twenty five. No, yes. Go ahead. We'll let of course, the, you got, we'll you got cross see. references. <laughs> it does a better job at answering that. John MacArthur's commentaries. Yeah. <laughs> Isaiah forty three twenty five. I I am He who blots out your transgressions for My own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Hebrews 8.12 is quoting Jeremiah 31.34. It says, For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Uh, Psalm 103.12, As far as the east from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So the answer would be yes. Um, It's an intentional move on God. I mean, clearly, God never forgets anything unless it's something that he wants to forget. Um. So you would say like he 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 can't remember. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he chooses not to remember. Um, yeah. So right. he he does forget our sins. All right. Well, let's let's talk about practical things, Fortner. Because how can we forgive ourselves if we're still dealing with the consequences of of sin? Um, because you can be forgiven and then you're like, it's just going to haunt you for years or a lifetime. So I like what you said. So I'm going to start off with that. You said, A, trust in what the Bible says, um, during the sermon. Uh, but practically, um, we had to take responsibility for your actions uh, and acknowledge the impact that they had. Um, use the experience as an opportunity for personal growth and learning. Um, reflect on the lessons that you've gained from the mistakes and consider how you can uh, apply these lessons positively in the future. Uh, seek forgiveness if, if you can. Uh, make amends if, if able. And then um, practice forgiveness going, going forward. Yeah, those are really good. And I don't, I don't think this is directly tied to that. I mean, but part of forgiving yourself and um, having a lifetime of consequences is the opportunity 
to mentor other people to mm-hmm. not do that. And I don't, I don't view that. We shouldn't view that as like a penance for our sins. Like we got to pay them back, so we got to go help other people so they don't do it. But it is a, a way that you can take something that was dark in your past and use that for good. Um, so, yeah. All right, C, God will forgive, God will cleanse. Mm, what does it mean that the blood of Christ cleanses us? <laughs> you just sounded, that was like a, I don't know, sounded like it was a Sesame Street question. I know. <laughs> You'll find out. All right, um, I want to say first, Mark Garland answered this on Sunday in some way during his communion devotional, which, by the way, was excellent. Um, afterwards, I don't, he won't care, but afterwards, I think he was, I, I t- told him he did a great job, but, um, like, basically, like, was it confusing? And I was like, no, that was, at least to me, it was crystal clear that we can have an inheritance because of what, the blood of Jesus, like, crystal clear to me. I thought it was really good. So the answer to this question, uh, we have to remember the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, the animals were slaughtered for the sins of God's people. And that blood didn't actually cleanse them, um, but it pointed to the Lamb of God that would um, and could. So this is Hebrews 9, starting in verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest, the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all, to the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats, of calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons and the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serving the living uh, God? And again, I don't want to downplay that the sacrificial system of the Old Testament was not needed, not required, um, but it was certainly uh, put into action to lead us towards the Lamb of God. So, main point, how can we be an honest Christian? Little children, that's what John said. Little children, Christ is our advocate. Let's... First discuss, Chris, yep. why should we pursue righteousness? If Christ is our advocate, what's the point? Uh, Proverbs 15.9 says, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. Uh, to pursue righteousness means that we must recognize that we cannot please God in our sinful state. Uh, Romans 8.8, 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Um So we turn from trying to justify ourselves by our good deeds, and instead, uh, we need to seek the mercy of God. Uh, We pursue righteousness when we pursue the character of Christ and desire holiness uh, more than fleshly indulgence. Yeah, that was good. Thank you. Can you email that to me for this Sunday's sermon? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Um, Well, how is Christ our advocate, Jason? Uh, I didn't go over this Sunday, so it's worth mentioning now. Advocate is from the Greek word paraclete. Uh, para 
means alongside and Colleen to call. So in the Gospel of John, um, if you remember, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit our advocate, the paraclete. He comes alongside us um, to call us out, intercede on our behalf through prayer. Um, and then in 1 John, he uses it in a different way. He calls Jesus our advocate, where he comes alongside us to call us out to intercede for us before the Father. And I know it's cliche, but it's helpful. So, And I think John certainly has some of this in mind. If you view it like a, a courtroom scene... God is the righteous judge. We're about to be sentenced to death. Christ, being our advocate, stands between us and the judge and says, I'll take that punish for, punishment for them, which might be ruining Jason Baker's answer right here. You just throw my thumb What up. does propitiation mean? <laughs> All right. I'm going to read a couple of verses. Um, 1 Good. John 2.2. 2. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Also in 1 John 4.10, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So both of those, propitiation uses the same Greek word, hilosmos, um, and which means an offering to appease or satisfy an angry, offended party. So Propitiation in this case, Jesus was our propitiation because he satisfied the wrath of God through his sacrifice or substitutionary atonement. So he took our place, he took the punishment, and he satisfied um, the price that had to be paid and satisfied God's wrath. Can I bring up something that was brought up to me in regard to that? Sure. So I, I, it's not, I didn't plan to say this, but, um, so I had a quote, longer definition of propitiation from Dr. Burke Parsons at the end. And someone said, well, you said God sends people to hell. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, wait a second, what did I say? And I looked in the notes, I was like, yeah. Well, I said, well, technically, I didn't say that. Dr. Burke Parsons said that. But yeah, I, that, <laughs> I did. That was in the message. And the point was, is they were like, well, God doesn't send people to hell people choose to go to hell and i'm like i think at this point we're just saying very similar things i said but i i agree um but people choose they re they choose by rejecting god they, they reject christ they reject the cornerstone and who do you think sends them there and who do you think punishes them when they're there um so yeah, it wasn't, if anyone even caught, else caught that, I wasn't trying to like make some weird point, but the, re the reality is, I think, and, and I don't even think that, uh, that Burke Parsons was trying to make that point. His point was, there's not just this idea of sin and hell and God's punishing sin, there's actual people there. So that was the whole point, but all right, well, forget I said that if that upset anyone or confuse anyone so all right we're done but not really this way we should have ended with the super bowl question because this isn't a fun question uh, i put why don't why 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 do you think so many well-known church leaders have fallen lately who wants to answer that one first i'll go all right go i have a list okay <laughs> You have a list of the fallen leaders? No. <laughs> Let's go through the list. <laughs> um, 
as far as reasons, I think there's lack of accountability, mm-hmm. um, neglecting spiritual disciplines, putting themselves in questionable situations, you know, counseling opposite sex, things like that. Um, I think just pride, thinking that this is not going to happen to me. Um, there are people in the ministry that are toxic leaders. Yeah. Um, and I think reason why more are coming out like getting caught there's an increase in our access to media now and then there are like you mentioned the sbc sunday you know there's groups and denominations and outside organizations that are cracking down on this and they're looking to hold groups and churches accountable so there's a greater awareness now of what's going on yeah yeah, I think the aware, not that it's like a new phenomenon, but maybe yeah. it's always been more there. ways to sin and more ways to get caught. Yeah, yeah, you bring up a good point too. I think a lot of it is guys, they're just they just put themselves in dumb situations, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, I don't know why. I'm... Yeah. All right, what do you got, Chris? I had also had lack of accountability. Uh, I said burnout and stress, mm-hmm. um, failure to address personal issues. Um, and lack of humility. Yeah, I'm going to add more to my long thing after you said that because I've mentioned it on this podcast, but I like leadership um, d- doesn't make your prob- sin problems go, goes away, go away. It, it exposes them in the sense that, you know, I, I realize some of that as a youth pastor, but then when you become moving here in the lead pastor, it's like, it just gets exposed and heightened even more of what you really struggle with. Um, I'll say a few things that maybe that weren't mentioned. Really, a primary thing that wasn't mentioned. I think church leaders are conditioned. Um, they've been mentored in and conditioned to isolate and never be vulnerable or close with anyone, um, especially close with people in their own congregation. Um, I say that because I've literally been counseled to do that, uh, and thankfully I've ignored that counsel. But it was that wasn't from like crazy people. These were church leaders I trust. Um, so people have not always liked that I'm close with a few in the local church, and not everyone, um, or at least superficially close with everyone. People have told me not to get too close or real with. Um, my own local church. Even before moving down here, I was counseled to not tell church leadership of my thoughts. I didn't have concerns, but just my heart to step outside of youth ministry and we were looking. I was told not to tell church leadership until everything was figured out. I ignored that. Um, So I think they... um, privately and secretly struggle in life. Church leaders struggle with lust and greed and self-medicating with the things of this world. Um, And so the more famous you become in church leadership, the less you feel like you can be honest. Like you're not even just, and I'm not saying this is right, but you're not even um, trying to protect your soul you start thinking, how do I protect my reputation? Um, I think of the great, I shouldn't, 
mention names, but he's gone. But the great fall of Ravi Zachariah, who we didn't even realize until after he died. Um, but like I, I think back, like I saw him at a conference, read his books. Like I, this guy was the top of his game in that world. Um, and I think like, did anyone in his life know what he was going through? Um, so like, and, and maybe in his mind, how would they have responded at him at that leadership? How would they have responded if at the early stages he was like, I'm struggling with lust and I need help. So I think church leaders have been conditioned in Bible college, seminary, mentoring in the local church, they've been conditioned not to be honest. Um, so what's the answer? I think it's do it anyway. Just do it anyway. That's my stance. I don't care if people think less of me because I'm t too transparent or too honest. Um, I don't even care if they use that information to stab me in the back. Like. I'm going to be transparent and honest. Now, not foolishly with everyone, because, um, yeah, you can't trust everyone, even people in your own church who say they're Christians, but with a few rock-solid Christians that I trust inside, outside of the local church, uh, you just have to be transparent, even if it costs you things, rather it costs you some reputation or people gossiping than it costs your soul so um yeah I'm, that's that's easier said than done but i think that's the bigger problem church leaders are just conditioned not to be and they have congregations that expect them to be something they're not um, so yeah so you just get a bunch of guys out there that act like you get pastors out there that act like they're like the world's biggest screw up and you're like, well, that's not what I mean. And then you have pastors out there that act like they are perfect. And you're like, can we not have a happy medium here? We're just honest. So, wow. Well, that was it. How about Taylor Swift? Anyone? <laughs> I mean, didn't end as... I was going to put that at the end of my list just for the fun. I it. know. There's nothing... <laughs> so much uh, for your church uh, for for these men that that prepared and and studied and prayed and and God we're thankful for the word just to be able to gather each week and uh, study your word God help us to be honest help me to be honest and um, and to fight for that and not to hide not to um, do anything in secret God help me to be honest help us to be a church of men and women uh, that are honest Christians and that cling to the gospel. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.